Welcome back to the Peaked Too Early podcast. This is season four, episode six of the pod. Uh, if the last few weeks have been uh, an Oscar's return to West Ham being great and him being happy, yes. uh, this week's pod will be a return to Newcastle being shit and Blake being very sad on the podcast. Uh, I am Blake Munchell. I'm joined by the ever lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Blake. It feels like 2021 all over again. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, this is a uh, short notice ish, pretty ill prepared for, given that we decided to do it a few hours ago and I was preparing for a Korean barbecue fest um, for Labor Day, which I have to say was fun. Um, but yeah, excited to talk about some football. I know that you have a lot of questions for me this week to make my life a little bit easier, which I appreciate. Um, and how are you doing, Blake? I am very good. Mm. I have spent the last week house sitting for my parents, so it's been a lot of sitting by their pool. Uh, yes. But I, unfortunately, Oscar, as you know, am physically incapable of tanning. So I am mm. the exact same shade that I started. You are a very pasty um, man. Yeah, proper British at heart. Uh, there. Hmm. You know, inability to... Uh, Shade without the help of a, a tanning bed. Um, well, Oscar Saywell, I would rather we don't start the, our normal way of talking about West Ham and uh, Newcastle because that will probably, you know, get us age restricted when I start probably. cursing. Yeah. Um, although uh, we'll we'll come back to the Newcastle issue, uh, and that's how we'll wrap up this podcast. But okay. basically. Um, the format of this episode will be a little bit different. Uh, I just gave Oscar some topics. He told me which ones he wanted to talk about. Uh, and then I came up with some questions for him. So this wow. is going to be a much more chat uh, heavy rather than us pretend we know anything about football. Um, I will start the podcast, however, with a uh, applaud it. Uh, for West Ham and their incredible start oh. to the season. Um, a la three years ago when uh, West Ham were top of the table and we yeah. all joked, you know, West Ham are going to win the league. West Ham are massive. Um, <laughs> well, talking about massive, uh, yeah. I want to start this podcast talking about one Jude Bellingham, uh, who is not a Premier League player and never has been a Premier League player. But we'll, we'll bring that up later. Uh, my first question for you is at the moment, you know, in this frame of reference that we have to view the world right now, is Jude Bellingham a top five midfielder in the world? Oh, that's a great spicy first uh, opening question. Um, I think you, you probably have to say yes, just because of the, the way that Jude Bellingham at his age, which is 20 years old, by the way, he only just turned 20 has moved to one of the historic giants, you know, despite what you think about La Liga, despite what you think about their model, you know, is one of the storied uh, football clubs, you know, in the world. If you move to Real Madrid, you, all the eyes of the world are on you. And the way that he has taken that team and that league by the throat is quite astonishing. And And, and I think the way to sum it up really is... There is a plausible theory that says that Kylian Mbappe at PSG has to these talks to extend his contract again 
because Jude Bellingham has moved to Real Madrid and because of the status that he has in that team. He has been, you know, the instant superstar there. And one thing we can say about Jude Bellingham is that that man is absolutely unafraid of being in the limelight. Um, he is just brimming with confidence, right? Like, it's borderline. I mean, it's, it's, it's what they call the good type of arrogance. I mean, he, he truly believes that he should be there front and center. And he, he has played, I think it is, four La Liga games. And he has scored five goals and has one assist, including the last match that they played where he scored the winner in the 95th minute. So, you know, and this is a Real Madrid team that didn't win the league last year. Um, so he's already looks like he's transformative. And, uh, and yeah, I think you can comfortably put him in the top five, especially because he's keeping, you know, he's kept Modric out the side at the start of this season. So, Yeah, uh, my next thing. Um, top five right you... now? Yeah. Um, so my first, my one and two is Kevin De Bruyne and Rodri. Um, I think the two of them are just so good. You know, if it won, it's almost unfair to compare, you know, Bellingham to, you know, De Bruyne or Rodri. I guess to De Bruyne is a little more fair, but um, ignoring the fact that midfield roles and positions are so diverse and do, you know, um, each one serves such an important role, but comparing any two of them, uh, they're so different. Yeah. Um, I would say Kevin De Bruyne and Rodri are the two Do, best midfielders. Just to, well, okay, it, I guess. It, yeah, I have to walk back a little bit because if I say in this moment you know, of right. time, Jude Bellingham is there, Kevin De Bruyne cannot be included. Um, right, and I wonder if I mean, could you make the argument that Jude, that Kevin De Bruyne top five just because of his availability? Like, if you're not impacting teams over a 38-game season, or, sorry, over a 50-game season, etc. Is that, does that constitute, like, slipping out of that five? Yeah, just, that's very fair. I, um, I don't... It just feels harsh. Yeah, you know? but, yeah, it, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne, the most, uh, you know, the player who strikes fear into my heart more than any player um, over the last 10 years in the Premier League. Um, yeah. Talk to me. Uh, but, actually, can you talk to me about Rodri though? I would like to know why you pick him as as a top five when you have the likes uh, of I don't know, Modric obviously out there. Kroos, you could make an argument for players like this. Oh, uh, you know, he's just a he, absolute devastator. Um, you know, the m the main reason why Newcastle can never do anything against uh, Manchester City is you know Rodri single handedly you know, dismantles Newcastle's midfield. Um, so, yeah. you know, as most things, I'm heavily influenced by the performances against Newcastle. Um, but, you know, just, uh, you know, the protection that he gives, you know, he makes Ake and John Stones and, you know, uh, Kyle Walker, you know, these guys look infallible. Um, right. Because the importance of having a rock-solid six will protect pretty much every player surrounding him. Um, so, um, and when, you know, when I talk about top fives, you know, I want players who could start in any midfield, um, in the world. And I think Rodri is one of those players, 
Right. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting when you talk about like best X in the world, right? Like best midfielders in the world, best players in the world, etc. Because you know the metrics that we vary, and then it can be very difficult to to compare and contrast, right? So because Jude Bellingham is a player who 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 really for Real Madrid so far has has been playing almost almost as a false nine at times, right? Like that's how far up he's playing. Um, it, I think you know it, in terms of direct impact, it, it's much easier to sort of point to a Kevin De Bruyne or a Jude Bellingham and say you know this is this is the best midfielder in the world because you're sort of seeing it day in day out. So, sort of the the layman can see that direct impact. Yeah, very fair. Um, uh, it, it would be it would be interesting, right? To at one point, right, I would have been convinced that Declan Rice had a higher ceiling than Jude Bellingham, despite the fact that you know that Jude Bellingham is much younger and etc. But but now seeing Jude Bellingham make that effortless, you know, shift to Real Madrid and the the way that he and and let's not forget that this is a a, a foreign league for him, right? I'm sure he doesn't speak good Spanish yet because there's no way he can that he's 20 no British person that is. you have seen right exactly that big players wilt at Real Madrid right your Eden Hazards and, and, and players like that completely wilt at Real Madrid and yet this is a guy who has gone there and has looked completely unfazed and I don't know if I have a thing about this I'm going to ask you a quick question because I, I feel like I, I'm a bit of a Debbie Downer with it and it's it's a sort of along the same sort of line as as the stuff I say about Brighton, right? My question with a club like Brighton is, when do the wheel like something has to go wrong, right? It I, it feels inevitable, and I can I can kind of turn that mentality to Jude Bellingham. Like his career trajectory has has just been upward, right? What what is it that will go wrong for Jude Bellingham? Because we've seen it with even with someone like Mbappe, right? where all the off-the-pitch trouble has directly impacted what goes on on the pitch. So what's what? do you think a player like Jude Bellingham can hit a bad patch of form? Is that even a thing that you can do? Or is he in that category of player that is just never go down, period? Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier because I was trying to come up with a player who just went from strength to strength to, th- to strength and never really hit a rough patch. So the first player who obviously pops to my mind is Lionel Messi. Sure, who- yeah. You know, he was the most hyped 13-year-old on the planet, and then he pretty much seamlessly at age 16 fit into an incredible Barcelona side and held his spot for however many years he did. The only rough spot he hit was PSG, where he scored something ridiculous like 60 goals. Um, right. So, you know, it's hard to consider that a, a low point. It's exactly. only a low point because he was weirdly scapegoated and... You know, PSG always, you know, trip at the final hurdle. Um, but, you know, Jude Bellingham, you know, 16 years old, he makes what, like, uh, something, he had something ridiculous, like 14 appearances for Birmingham City before he got his Dortmund move. Um, they paid 30 million for him. Uh, I remember at the time, everyone's like, Wait, what are Dortmund doing? You know, how can you pay that much for a, yeah, and this was what 2019, so uh, 2020. Yeah, the money hadn't quite blown up to the level it's at now. So, um, and yeah. people were like, "How could they spend 30 million on him?" Uh, and Birmingham City fans were like, "No, that's a steal. You know, he's going to be the best player in the world." Um, yada yada. Right. Go strength to strength. Um, 
you know, fits in so seamlessly in the Bundesliga, which is a very tough league, um, especially is, physically. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes to Real Madrid, which is, you know, uh, one, the enormous pressure. But two, um, you know, La Liga is all about uh, technical expertise rather than the physical side of things. Um, sure. So Jude Bellingham shows, you know, he has this, you know, all-encompassing. The the bit where it will run out is, one, the pressure. You know, if Real Madrid, you know, uh, fall out of the Champions League, don't win La Liga, you know, the questions, the, there's no room for error uh, at Real Madrid. Um, and then, two, uh, he's played so much yeah. football. Um, you know, you just wonder, you know, it, even the best players can get super unlucky, you know, um, with injuries. So, yeah, that's it. I, what do you, so Birmingham City famously retired Jude Bellingham's number. And it was a little bit more than 14 appearances he made. So, so he broke into the team in 2019 and then he, uh, you know, he played, he played for about 18 months in the first team and he made about 50 appearances for them because he, by, by the full 2019, 2020 season, he was starting. He was like a full player. Uh, but, you know, at the end, right, they retired his number. Do you still, at the time, everybody was like, that is absolute insanity. And it's still kind of a crazy thing to do, probably, but it, it seemed as, you know, unfathomably, hilariously ridiculous as it did a few years ago. What do you think of that decision now? Like, are we looking at a player that's going to be in the pantheon of players of Lionel Messi and Ronaldo and these Ronaldinho and these types of players, or, or is that too much? I think, you know, if he stays healthy, um, I think yes. Because, you know, when I think of him, I think of him as being 20, 24, 23, 25, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, one, he's a physical specimen. He's everything. He's tall. He's broad. You know, he's built really well. Um, and, two, I remember him playing for what feels like forever, um, although it's been four years. So maybe that part is a. Um, side effect of pandemic time um, yeah where you know for like two and a half years all i was really able to do was watch and think about football so uh he just occupied a larger portion of my brain um but yeah he's 20 and he's not even an old 20 i don't think i think he's a no, really he just 20 he old. just turned 20 like last week yeah exactly which is you, one disgusting and two yeah it's horrible why i think you know you look at where midfielders especially in recent years have hit their peak you know he's like a good 8 years nine yeah. years away from that so right i i think i think i would compare Joe bellingham's tra- trajectory to mbappe's right so in fact in many ways they're sort of similar it's just that they play in different positions mbappe also coming through not quite at 16, but coming through high profile at 17, 18. And everyone was sort of like, oh, who's this hot young kid? And when's it, when's the, when are the good times going to stop? And they, they haven't, right? Um, you know, obviously there's been that off the field stuff, but, but apart from that, his output has never slowed. And, and they're very similar in a lot of ways, right? The guys who, who should be way older than they, than, than, than they actually are, right? Like the way that they play the game, the way that they conduct themselves in interviews, the way that they look, it's, it's sort of, they, they are beyond their years. 
Um, and I think that something that we, I don't know, maybe the, the this concept of building teams around players is outdated now. I, I, I'm sure there's many sort of football scholars who who say that that is no longer a a, a, a thing that that football managers can feasibly do just because of the volume of games and the diversity of tactics and etc. But it, it seems to me like he is one of those players. He is a traditional build your team around that player. And I, I, I hope that we see Southgate doing it with England. And I think Real Madrid are already doing it with him because, because he's been the one that's sort of shot into the top of the league already. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, the one thing that I would be worried about is, is, is he, we saw with Wayne Rooney, like we saw with, I don't know, uh, Eden Hazard, I suppose, is one of them you could, you could put there. Uh, do you think that's a problem? Yes, I think so. Um, one, just generally, you know, a lot of, you know, you'll, you'll, you just passively pick up wear and tear on stuff like your knees and ankles. Um, right, exactly. Games. So, yeah. um, you know, I think pretty much when you start your professional career or, you know, really anything, you know, because even, you know, a player like me, um, you know, I feel this too. I at the end of playing a game, I feel it so much more than, you know, I did last year and how I did three years ago and how I did five years ago. Um, you know, like you can, you know, your body responds to your aging uh, more so than you do mentally. Um, and then two, uh, not only are players playing more at a younger age, they're also playing on... Um, surfaces that are not great um you know all my injuries have been on turf fields um yeah and so yeah. i'm a well, big believer in yeah i was gonna say except for your major angle for my actual the, major one yeah yeah which was in the mud um but um you know i am worried and you know the early studies of these types of fields are you know that they're way worse for your knees and ankles Right. Um, and, you know, also like way worse for your lungs and skin cancer and all this other stuff. Yeah. So. Oh, God. I mean, they're just horrible. Right. I I, I want to talk really quickly about, about you know, because it, it's just interesting with Jude Bellingham. I want to talk about his dad and his younger brother. So his dad, Mark Bellingham, was sort of famous in, in the almost 20 years, I think. And I, I think he sort of was a professional footballer for a while, but really non-league was, was where he was. And he was a striker. And it's funny because, you know, you can find articles about him, about Mark Bellingham. That's his name. Back as he recently sort of as 2012, right, when he's in his early, thir early 30s, coming toward the end of his career. But, you know, there's, there's one here that, that I found online from Coventry Live, right? It, the headline is Bedworth United's Mark Bellingham proves a good decision by boss Steve Farmer. And it's about how the fans didn't want him to come in, but he's scoring a ton of goals for them and it was a good move. So, you know, you, you, sort, of, you sort of think that when these footballers have uh, fathers or mothers or, or parents or, or, or family members that, that sort of know the sport, it, it, it typically is a good thing, um, especially with media training and sort of being able to navigate the treacherous waters of of youth football and this sort of stuff and and you can definitely see that in in jude bellingham as i mentioned in the way he conducts himself 
And then his younger brother, who I texted you about the other week, he's only 17. He also played for Birmingham, but just got a pretty fairly sizable money move to Sunderland, um, the hated Sunderland, uh, this summer. And Sunderland, you know, people of our age, and especially Blake, I'm sure, remember Sunderland as the clownish sort of Premier League team of the 2010s that were always flirting with relegation and and then sort of got sunk all the way to League One and we had Sunderland Till I Die, the documentary and, and the financial troubles. In more recent years, certainly since the pandemic, has been a club that's been sort of taken over by new owners and their model now is very much smart signings, youth players, that, that kind of stuff. And, and Job Bellingham, Jude Bellingham's younger brother, is, is really instrumental in this and um, he's playing as sort of a striker-ish come you know, attacking midfielder and, and bagged a couple of goals uh, a couple of weeks ago and looks really, really exciting as well. So we could we could sort of see a, a bit of a footballing dynasty um, with these two um, in the next five years, which would be exciting to see and certainly would be exciting for England as well. Um, so I'm, I'm quite as an England fan. Well, I personally think that uh, Job Bellingham is utter shit uh i'm sure you do i'm sure you do uh not to mention his brace came against rotherham which is a soft spot club he's he's only 17 Uh, blake only 17 and have you have you seen the guy he's even bigger than jude bellingham he's huge what the main thing about him is he looks exactly like jude bellingham they look like like a carbon copy um except job's got a little bit of a scar on his face Um, yeah 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 but they look very similar yeah oh yeah horrifying um one i just never want sunderland to succeed in any i'm sure you don't uh, form or fashion so you know even if they just sell this guy in a year's time and make profit on him even that's too much for me um right even that yeah i believe uh the game he scored two goals for he uh, he was not a center forward, but he did play as the sole center forward against Southampton when they won 5-0. Um, oh, yeah? So, yeah. that's interesting. Um, yeah. I'm just, I would be a lot more excited about it if it wasn't Sunderland. Um, so, I feel like I'm not the right person to... No, uh, I understand that. I just get excited about on. footballing brother duos. I mean, I mean, really, in the next couple of years, we could also see uh, Kylian Mbappe's brother, Ethan Mbappe, um, emerge because he's already in preseason was he's only 16 but in preseason he wanted as as a bit of a uh, a talent in PSG's youth ranks so um, no it's an exciting stuff we just need who who else do we need we need like Bakayo Saka to have some 15 year old brother coming through or something maybe who knows yeah the the thing is though about Jude and Job is if they're both these attacking midfielder slash center forward hybrids you know how do you start both of them in the england squad together well the thing is jude bellingham, jude bellingham can play literally anywhere so i suppose we just i don't know we could do a four four two and have both of them up top why not <laughs> well i was gonna say that um one my jude bellingham <laughs> comp uh, right now is luka modric um in terms of ability to play Anywhere from a six to a false nine. To a, to a false nine, um, yeah. And uh, maybe that's the reason why Mudrich is being, you know, held out of the Real Madrid squad. 
Um, yeah, he came back in for the most recent one, didn't he, against Hatafe? I think, starting lineup. I mean, the dude's 37 now. I'm, I mean, getting comparisons or just being in the same conversation as Modric, who is probably one of the greatest central midfielders of all time at this point, at the age of 20, is already quite an achievement. Um, yeah, he could have signed so, for Newcastle. He could have. What a shame. Lots of players um, could have and didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I got uh, another two questions, but these are a little bit shorter. Go ahead. Um, one, where does Jude Bellingham rank uh, in terms of English players playing at Real Madrid? So, you know, do, do you think you know he's a better player, you know, now in this Real Madrid squad compared to Beckham or compared to Jonathan Woodgate? That's uh, super interesting. Um, and we've I. I got to admit, I think I got, I caught 70% of your question. It's finally happened. You've been cutting out the whole pod and we finally got unlucky. So I think your question was, where does he rank in terms of England players sort of of at, all time or Real, potential no, at, or at Real Madrid? At that Real was Madrid. Crucial bit. Oh, I mean, I think let's, let's, I mean, as an England fan, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rein in a little bit. It is only five matches in. The guy could get an injury and be out for six months and then take another six to come back up to speed. Knock on wood, obviously, that that doesn't happen. So so let me let me pause for a second. I think maybe we should spend a year watching him to, to really determine. But but right now, only Beckham would rival him. And, and probably Beckham... I mean, Beckham, I think, was quite underrated at Real Madrid. Um, people don't remember quite how good he was there because Real Madrid, uh, when Beckham was there, wasn't the sort of winning machine that they are to, today or have been in recent years. But but no, I mean, uh, based off what we've seen, Bellingham will be head and shoulders above above any England player that's played for, for Madrid. British, if you, if you expanded it to British players, then he's got a way to go to beat Gareth Bale. But, but you know, um, it's not it's not hard to... To be at the top right now. Um, and then my final question for you is: Are we going to see Jude Bellingham in the Premier League? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. I hope not. Frankly, I hope that he spends his entire career outside of England because I don't think we've ever, ever had a high-profile England player that's done that before. Um, I would love to see him. I don't know. Be at Real Madrid for ten years. Which it would be, I mean, he wouldn't even be old if he spent 10 years at Real Madrid and then go off to, I don't know, I don't, I'm, some Italian Barcelona. team. Wow, that'd be, can you, I don't know, maybe AC, another sort of historic AC Milan or something. And yeah, no, and then, and then eventually back to Bur- Birmingham when he's an old man, um, which I hate to think about because we'll be ancient by then, Blake. Um, I really hope he doesn't. Uh, because I think that, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't want to see him in a City shirt. I don't want to see him in a Chelsea shirt. I don't, you know. See, I think the, he's prime for Manchester United to horrible. purchase him for $160 million or something. He would never, but, um, but this is the thing. I don't think he would ever go. I don't think he would go. I think he's too smart for that. I really do. Um, I don't think his camp would 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 would, would sanction that move. Unless... Unless five, unless eight, six years down the road, Man, Man United are somehow, you know, a 
treble winning, consistently incredible side, which they won't be. So I don't think it's going to happen. Um, very fair. Um, I, yeah, that, that was pretty much it. Um, my next question for you is about uh, Joao Felix type oh. players who oh, he has been back in the news um, unveiled at Barcelona crying at his uh, unveiling, which was yes. a loan unveiling. And he um, took a huge salary, slashed his salary to get there. Yeah. Right. So, you know, he's this player who was at one point the most hyped player in the world. Uh, yeah. back when he was in Portugal. He gets this move to Atletico. He has a good season, but is unliked by Simeone. Um, yeah. And he dislikes Simeone. Yeah. You know, he is rumored away from everywhere, but in the end, all he can get is a loan move to Chelsea, where he is decent. And, you know, Chelsea have shown they're willing to spend lots of money on really bad players but yeah. they won't cough up the money to sign him either despite him having a better return than a lot of the players they do sign yeah so then he goes back to atletico madrid atletico madrid still don't want him he now goes out to barcelona um which so he's this you know Obvious talent. He's still very young. He gets goals and assists no matter where he goes, but everyone hates him. Uh, one, how much of this do you chalk up to the personality of Joao Felix? Yeah. Oh, that's the... Okay. Um, yeah, l let's make no mistake. Joao Felix is a sublime talent, right? Like, uh, I think that the move to Atletico Madrid... For the amount of money was pretty ridiculous given here but even in the absolute shambles that is chelsea we saw the the quality that he has especially on the ball um you know it's quite something right um i think that sadly uh, it looks like from the outside like 90 percent of this is about personality because it just seems like basically everyone who works with him doesn't like him um and because I think the Atletico move was a weird one because Simeone's style, it, you know, especially at the time, did not accommodate a player like Joao Felix, who needs a lot of time on the ball, who is a little bit of a luxury player, who does absolutely does not work hard off the ball. Now, interestingly enough, this 2023 iteration of Atletico Madrid is a little bit different. We're seeing this version of Real Madrid smash teams apart 5-1 a couple of times already this season. However, you know, we're still seeing the success really be in, in as I mentioned before, that off-the-ball work. And and so I, I think that move to Atletico Madrid was a bit weird because we all know what Diego Simeone wants out of you. He wants you to be a hard bastard and that's not Joao Felix. Now, I think... You, you you could probably say that all of these failures have really stemmed from that massive fee because nobody can really afford to 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 take him on, right? And so the only teams that could afford it last year were teams like Chelsea who are in shambles. And, and now, because of the way he's conducted himself, no serious team wants to take him. 
So Barcelona said, we'll take you, but you have to sort of get 50% of your wages and never mind the way you, you know, you conduct yourself off the pitch or in training or whatever. Um, and so you've sort of got a 23-year-old gem of a player who's in limbo because of a sort of variety of factors. So, yeah, I, th- I think personality certainly plays into it. Um, and and it sort of reminds me a little bit of Deli Ali, and obviously that interview that Deli Ali did over the summer shed a lot of light onto the situation and, and sort of the decisions behind, you know, his personality and, and the stuff that he did. Um, so, you know, but it does remind me a little bit of it. Maybe a player who who doesn't put his best foot forward consistently and when he needs to and relies too much on on his sort of innate talent to to see him through um but these things are difficult to to really ascertain properly okay yeah very fair um i ask this because i do you consider joao felix to be a luxury player just yes or no uh uh, lack of european football knowledge I I saw him a bit at Chelsea. I think so. I think so in the sense that not necessarily that he doesn't you know, he's not he's not uh, he's not like a Dimitar Berbatov, right? Who literally like I I'm one of my favorite players of all time, but Dimitar Berbatov never ran, right? Like he just sort of breezed through games and and unless it was on a set piece, didn't do any defending. Sort of like that, where he won't do anything off the ball or, you know, anything in terms of, of pressing or pressures. But I think he's a luxury player in the sense that he needs to be in a certain and quite niche environment to thrive, right? He needs to have time on the ball. He needs to have players around him that will suit his style of play vis-a-vis sort of being able to to dribble with the ball to drive forward to take shots from far out um in, in sort of instead of being a penalty box striker or a attacking midfielder who's going to spray balls out different places right so so it's almost in the Kai Havertz mold he's he's a player that that very quickly loses a spot in the team not because he's versatile, but perhaps because he is the opposite of versatile. And he, he really needs to talk about when, when, when I think of, of him as a luxury player. Is that wrong? No, yeah. Um, I also wanted to get at how you personally define a luxury player, but I think you did a, a decent job explaining mm. your thoughts on that while you were um, explaining my last question. Um, to me, I think of luxury players a lot more as a player who... Uh, in a good system will shine, um, but they will only shine in that system um, and they sort of don't shine outside of it. Um, So, you know, um, you know, these types of players who are luxury players will look really good in a really good team. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, I think it's valid to call them a good player if they're playing well Mm -hmm. in a good team, but in a team where things are, you know, a little bit off, you know, their faults show up very quickly. Um, and they're usually one of the first players out. Um, so 
Um, I think Kai Havertz is a good example um, of a player who, in a in a squad that was playing really well, and when he was at his best, you understood, you know, why he's such a highly rated player. But yeah. then, all of a sudden, things don't going well, and he can't do anything. Um, and you know, not to shit on this guy who everyone shits on. You know, I think I myself am what could be described as a luxury player because. Uh, really? You know, w- when I play in a team that is very good, like very possession heavy, very good at passing, I am way better. I will rack up goals and assists like nobody's business. But in a in a team where, you know, I'm forced to be something creative or to make chances for other people, um, you know, like a team where I'm one of the best players, you know, I'm terrible. Really? Uh, which is what I'm currently going through. Um, I don't. I have one team where I'm one of the worst players, and it means I get goals and assists. And I have one team where I'm one of the best players, and it means I look like crap. I don't know about that because I feel like I, I, I've never really noticed that with you before. And I think maybe I think that the the fact of a luxury player, because I, despite what I said, and I, I think that what I talked about is one version of a luxury player. I think that the other real version of luxury players is really one that doesn't run much. And that, I mean, I don't play football anymore, which is sort of sad to say out loud. But when I did, I feel like I was the luxury player because I couldn't do anything if it wasn't on the ball. And I think that's really right. I wasn't pressuring consistently. I wasn't, you know, even if you're the best player on the team and you feel like you off the neck as you should, you're still hunting down balls and and covering and and all this stuff so i I feel like that means that you can't be luxury see i think why i worked really well in the teams that we played together for was because Mm. i was surrounded by great players so you know i can do the scrappy stuff you know and like when we had nick up top you know i just oh that guy was good can play a really simple through ball and he'll go and and he'll just do whatever he wants Um, with it yeah Right. And yeah, you know, like having you right in front of me, you know, I can make a tackle, get you the ball. You know, I know you'll be able to beat one man um, and then I can run into space and you can find me. So, Mm. you know, I think, you know, your type of player makes my type of player look a lot better. Mm. Um, But uh, I did not mean to this to get into you and I talking about uh, footballing skills. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff for the listeners, yeah. But other than Kai Havertz, I was trying to think of other players who are my definition of a luxury player. You know, like a... Sure. Can only really succeed in a really good system. Um, And I was struggling to come up with names. And I think that's because, by definition, a luxury player has to be a very expensive player. Um. Just by like how we connotate yeah, the word sure. luxury. Um, That's yeah, I like that. Yeah. So you know, I was thinking about like um, Mudrik, who because I was watching that Shakhtar Donetsk game versus Real Madrid, where he was he looked like the best player in the world. Um, yeah, and it was you know that pretty much the reason why Chelsea bought him for a hundred million pounds. Um, like just you know he that system at Shakhtar was so strong and showed off his talents perfectly 
And then as soon as you took him out of that system, all of his flaws became very apparent. Um, so not a yeah. luxury player for Chelsea. Um, but I don't know. I guess this is where the definition of luxury player comes into play. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like there's an element when you talk about a luxury player of liability. Right. And so I think that your what you said about the, the, the system bit makes sense because, you know, you, you, you're not going to ever have a luxury player who's a defender. Luxury players are always attacking players. That's very fair. Right? Probably traditionally because, right? Because a luxury player is, is a player that, that gives you something great some of the time, or even most of the time, but there's a fundamental flaw. And that fundamental flaw is often something to do with sluggishness or laziness or that kind of stuff. It's, no, I mean, this is, a, this is a very interesting concept. I think it's quite a fluid, a fluid, uh, fluid definition. Okay, well, here, let me, I'll say something, and you have to promise not to jump at me the second I say it. Um, but what about Trent Alexander-Arnold at huh. the right-back position as luxury somewhat player. of a luxury player? Because... It's kind of awesome. Yeah. You know, when he had Van Dyke, you know, at Van Dyke's peak, behind him, at, you know, which was masking some of Trent's, you know, shortcomings, uh, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold was undeniably the best right back in the world. Uh, and then, not co- not incoincidentally, the decline of Van Dyke has resulted in the decline of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, just because parts of, you know, parts of the game is exposed. And so, because of this, you know, Trent has to be moved to a different position um, to try to find a role that you know, can hide his shortcomings. So um, maybe some some flavors of luxury uh, in Trent's game. I think this is the best. I think that's so good that I might even write in to the other big boy podcasts that I listen to and ask that question. Because I think that is fantastic. I think if we take that definition of a luxury player being a player who has many good qualities but has a fundamental flaw trent at right back and that's really the asterisk because i think his performance in midfield is different trent at right back really could be that type of is is luxury players also are often players who don't directly impact games consistently and trent directly impacts games almost every game he plays, right? The amount of assists he gets or, you know, important passes he makes is, or in the past has been astronomical and is still at a very, very high elite level despite his defensive liability. So I wonder if that is the clapback you can make in this idea that a luxury player is one that... that and if we're going to take Madrid as an example, right, can have games where he looks like the best player on the pitch, but because they don't directly impact games as much as they should. But it is a fantastic shout. I do kind of love that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Would uh, you say would, would be... you say blanket? Yes, then he is a luxury player. 
I think so, just because yeah. he makes so many mistakes, especially when he's playing as a right back. You know, like against I I hate to bring up Newcastle, Liverpool, but um he was by far the worst player on the pitch. Um yeah, he was just a shame a shameful player in that game. Um Yeah. Which, you know, he should thank Darwin Nunez for saving his career. Um yeah. Because it was yeah, that he was bad horrible in that game. He really was horrible in that game. Um, I am excited. Let's talk about it. go. What's your next? Um, talking about Chelsea, uh, and just the, you know, we're we're continuing to see, you know, these issues. Um, beaten again on the weekend against Nottingham Forest. Um. They stand like twelfth. Um, they've had a, at best, you know, uh, average start to the season, um, which you know everyone thought, okay, well, last year was the year they get this out of the way, and this year will be fine. Um, and I just wonder, you know, it, is Chelsea's issue gelling? Do they just need more time, or is it? the amount of money they've bought in there's too much pressure you know none of these players can live up to the amount of money that was spent on them um i just wanted to know this early season you know we've seen a couple of games how you stand on the issues at chelsea right now yeah i i think with the caveat that it is early in the season i think it's absolutely the second thing you said i think it's the fact that this club is rotten to the core because of the way it's run. Todd Bowley has come in, he's chucked, let's just call it a billion pounds at Chelsea and spent money on players that, frankly, they don't need. And yet somehow they still have a squad where you look at it and you're like, that's kind of thin, which is just like unfathomable to me. I think any club who buys and i'm sorry Mikhail mudrick because i feel like it's a pile on on you today but any club that goes and and has an owner that that i guess saw a couple of games in europe because in the champions league that's what americans watch and was like oh who's the best player on the pitch it's mudrick and then sanctions a hundred million pound move for him any club that does that not only once, but seemingly has done it about four times, maybe at least, with different players, cannot function well. And I know Mauricio Pochettino has had a couple of years, A, he had a year out of the game, and then he had a couple of years at PSG, which is just a shambles, and perhaps does not have that cutting edge that he had 10 years ago when he came into Tottenham. Uh, you know, I know that that's, you know, a reality, but but if if a manager like Pochettino, who, despite that, is probably still one of the best man managers, coach, is still struggling after a full preseason to get anything out of this, anything significant out of the squad, it is just the alarm bells have just been ringing there ever since Tuchel won the Champions League, right? Ever since that summer after they won the Champions League and it started to go downhill. Um, it's just like a festering parasite of a club. I just don't understand 
how is that? It's the it's it it's got to be the pressure of it. You've seen Moises Caicedo have three games where he's basically been rubbish, and he didn't have a bad game for Brighton. Mark Kukurea was, you know, let's take it back five years. Came through at Barca, didn't break through at Barca because they're a shambles. Went on loan to teams like Abar and Hitafe. and Hitafe, was absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant deadly in defense in attack got a move a smart move to brighton brighton got a, so much out of him he was one of the best left backs in the league in that season goes to chelsea and is now i mean not even in the squad i mean it's yeah, just like string left back yeah and they can't he, i mean like no, they tried to get him out of the club at the end of the transfer window, he almost moved to Man United on loan to be their emergency left-back cover. But Sergi, Sergi Regulon went over him. That's how bad Mark Kukurea has been. I mean, it's not even to mention... I mean, somehow Raheem Sterling has, seems to have pulled himself out of the quagmire and just been like, okay, I'm Raheem, Raheem Sterling. I'm not going to succumb to the mud that is Chelsea and I'm gonna been brilliant this season, but but it's, you're absolutely right. This is what it is. I mean, and it's just it's they deserve it, right? And frankly, not to do a drive by, but I I wish all these clubs that were taken over by these massive billionaires or these state run clubs, the same thing happens to them because we want the shit out of uh, out of football. You want these guys to fail. They can't just waltz in and throw money at stuff and everything be great. And so I hope Chelsea consistently fail and is an utter and complete and utter disaster. It would be absolutely lovely. Because um, it's, 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 the, it's the management fault. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it a while back, but it really is the most American approach to... Right. Uh, approach to it. And even, you know, the, all the decisions that they, you know, sort of are forced to make in the end um, about financial fair play. Like, for example, they cannot afford, you know, Mark Kukurea is on such a big contract for so right. many more years that they cannot afford to even move him on. Right. Um, and so that's why they're like, their only solutions were like a team like Real Madrid or Man U or Man City have to loan him uh, because no one else can afford his ridiculous wages. And that's why, you know, they end up selling a bunch of their youngsters, including, you know, you know, I guess they survived holding on to Ian Matson, but you know, he was halfway out the door. Um, and I think only down to his own accord. Did he not get yeah. sold? He said, no. Yeah. Um, so then so like, I have the, a question for you yeah. really fast. Why do you think we saw players like Moises Caicedo and, and maybe even more so Romeo Lavia, Right for Southampton, who they purchased for sixty million. Why do we see these players still wanting to go to Chelsea so bad? This is what I don't understand anymore. Why are players like like I say over Liverpool? What is there to say that it's going to be a success? I don't understand. How many players have failed in the last two years there, three years, four years there? Like when is it? When is it going to stop? Like, what's going on with these guys? Well, Caicedo, one, I guess he's a boyhood fan, supposedly. Sure. But, right. um, but that, I mean, yeah. that doesn't really matter. Right. Like, Exa yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, one, 
if it's one smidgen of why he chose Chelsea, you know, I should include it. Um, right. Sure, two, sure. I am sure that Chelsea, you know, Chelsea are dumb. Chelsea, I'm sure he's on an ungodly amount of money. You know, even more, you know, Liverpool are dumb, but Liverpool are not going to pay. Liverpool can't pay what Chelsea can pay. Um, you know, the amounts of money that Chelsea put players on, you know, they the only club that's, you know, even as close as dumb as Chelsea is Aston Villa. Um, they just like have a completely fucked wage structure um, are paying pl- random players out the wazoo. So, you know, and I hope for his sake that Moise Caicedo is getting paid north of 300k a week. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. And so I'm sure that was part of it. You know, there's like this echelon of clubs that can pay that sort of salary. And it's Chelsea, Real Madrid, PSG, uh, eh, Man City. Um, so, you know, that severely limits his clubs. And, you know, who knows? You know, maybe this is one of these players who, you know, he knows, you know, life is fickle and especially football is very fickle. Um, and he could have a career ending injury next year. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that, you know, kid from Ecuador, um, you know, he's pretty much set for life on this contract. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that being said, you know, other players, no idea, you know, (laughs) players who are already making hand over foot money. Uh, right. You know, I I don't get why you would pick Chelsea. I mean, um, a player like Romeo Lavia. Yeah, uh, you know, one, one, I just don't get it. Um, two, you know, they just bought Caicedo. You know, why are you willingly going? Like, why are you going to a club that you they just bought the guy you're going to sit behind? I don't. It's understand genuinely this. stupid. It's stupid, right? Um, for him, I heard it's about you know they have some coach that he is really close with. Um, and he pretty much chose them because of that. Um, but I just don't get it. Um, he, he didn't even make the bench in this game. No, um, he's going to be watching them for seven years. Right. He signed a seven year contract. I mean, it's just, it's like clownish. My only answer is that they just, they don't particularly care about playing football. Um, right. I mean, you know, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. Fair. So my current job, uh, you know, I love my job. Um, I have a great time. You know, I they pay me to do something that I really enjoy, which is, you know, more than most people get to do. Mm-hmm. If another job came by and said, we'll offer you five times what you currently make, but yeah. you don't, you're not going to do anything. We're going to just sit you in a back room. We're not even going to give you a computer. Just sit there for eight hours a day. I would probably take it. Um, after, yeah, you for know, a couple of years. Yeah. For, yeah, exactly. You know, make a lot of money for a few years and then, yeah. you know, come out. So, you know, I get it on that kind of, you know, perspective. No, um, yeah, it's a really good point. That's that is a really good point. I just sometimes think, like, even with Moises Caicedo, uh, I don't know. It's like you're set for life at Liverpool as well, dude. Like, there's no way they would. They were paying him that much less than what Chelsea are paying him, right? Right. Like, yeah. You know, this takes us back to like Jordan Henderson. Yeah, um, it does. Saudi yeah. conversation. You know, like 
at that point, is it is your life being yeah. improved that much? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't get it. Um, yeah, Chelsea are fucked. I hope they drown in the mud. Um, okay. Uh, the final thing I wanted to talk about, well, you know, I didn't want to talk about it. You wanted to talk about it. Me. Is the Newcastle issue. Um, oh, no. Newcastle are 14th, which is pretty surprising, um, considering they've lost three straight. Um, pretty much just because it's early seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And because Luton Burnley rescheduled is the reason they're so high. Um, uh, I freaking hate Siri. Stop listening to me. I did the same exact thing as last week. Oh, man. Um, but... Newcastle have lost three straight matches. Albeit, those matches are against Manchester City, Liverpool, and Brighton. And, you know, in the Liverpool game, Newcastle dominated for 80 minutes and just lost it at the end. Um, Plus, Brighton are a very good squad. Um, So that's kind of the the two sides of the scale. Yeah. one hand, you lose three straight matches. That's unacceptable in the Premier League, unless you're, you know, a bottom, a bottom five team in the Premier League. You know, no, no club is aiming for three straight losses. But on the other hand, it is against three of the top six teams. Um, Oscar, as an outsider, uh, how scared would you be if you were Newcastle? Um, I think scared is an interesting word because it wasn't so long ago that Newcastle's version of fear was relegation. So I know that maybe that's a bit of a West Ham mentality and I'm always sort of thinking about that. And and I think it's fair to be thinking that way as a West Ham fan because we haven't been taken over by a state. I, I, I don't want to be... I, I would be a bit scared. I think that this isn't a great start to the season. Now, again, with the caveats that we'll be talking about probably till December, literally we are like four games into the season. So really nothing. A couple of seasons ago, City come October were like in sixth or something crazy, and then they won the league. Um, But I think that this does bring down a lot of those bullish fourth place, third place title run question mark um sort of points it does bring them back down to earth a bit and i i do worry about the depth of your squad especially given the champions league around the horizon now we've seen navigate european football with small squads before i'll I'll give you west ham Moyes did it you know a couple of years ago when he barely had 11 players on the pitch and and we've got through like a 50 game season um but yeah, I, I would be a little bit fearful. And I, I think what I'm most scared of is is the fans making sure that they are true to themselves, right? So I hope that this Saudi money hasn't turned the fans cuckoo. The expectations get unrealistic. And as soon as you turn into Chelsea fans, that's when everything goes sour, everything goes wrong, and the vicious cycle starts because you have to retain that sense of humility that Newcastle fans definitely unironically have 
because of the hard times you've been through in order to be a successful and likable club, in my opinion. Um, and a hot take, I think it's part of the reason why Man City fans aren't regularly talked about as the worst fans in the country. It's because they were a time when they were a very humble club. Um, so yeah, I'd be a little bit scared as an outsider. But I mean, scared, the version of scared I am is you'll end up being seventh and not fourth. So I think you'll be fine. Um, although I will say I thought your performance against Brighton was really bad. Um, and I thought Hope and your defence in particular was pretty unacceptably shambolic. Yeah. Um, I, I will go just addressing your points in order. One, I'm a very anxious person in general. Um, and, you know, I'm especially a very anxious football fan. Um, but one of the things that really did calm my nerves and, you know, make me think that, you know, actually Newcastle are going to be all right is until the end of the game, the Newcastle away supporters were, you know, they all stayed, they all sang the entire game, outsung yeah. Brighton supporters, which is yeah. not saying much because Brighton's supporters are not very vocal. No, they're not trying. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, it's retirees and stuff and such. Yeah, it's um, nice people. Basically. Yeah, I was gonna say literally just nice folk. Yeah. Um, but you know, Newcastle stayed even when we were absolutely shite on yeah, the day. Yeah. Um, and so that is relieving. Um, yeah, it, it gives me hope. You know, because especially as an American fan, so much of what I see is, you know, like the Facebook people, and it's, you know people who learned how to type on a computer when they were 55 years old voicing their opinions and you know they tend not to have the best opinions yeah um so it, it was really nice to see um and you know pretty much every newcastle fan i know which i'm blessed to have met a lot of newcastle fans in the last few months um pretty much no one is freaking out so uh, yeah you know uh, you know, if I'm like one of the most fearful members of the Newcastle supporters, you know, I'm pretty happy then. Um, sure. And two, um, you know, you know, I am incredibly short memoried. Um, I, you know, tend to forget, especially about football, things that happened very recently. However, even I am, you know, smart enough to remember. Uh, every single podcast we did where I would be furious at Newcastle and I would dread talking about Newcastle. I would just use the the Newcastle time slot to just rant for five yeah, minutes yeah. Or, or 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, it is, you know, I can remember the really, really bad times. And so, um, you know, if losing three games in a row to three really good teams is the worst it's going to be this year, you know, then I'm totally fine. Um, and, you know, I look at the squad we have and, you know, we, we're forced to play, you know, the Matt Ritchie's, the Paul Dummett's, the Jacob Murphy's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember, you know, we haven't had 25 years of buying, you know, 25 million, 35 million, 45 million pound players um, to stuff our bench with. Um you know, I remember days when uh, 
Newcastle's academy, you know, were uh, they couldn't field enough players. Um, you know, I remember when Newcastle didn't have a a hot tub or an ice bath, and so they filled up yeah. trash cans for the players to cool down right. after practice. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember these like really crap days. So, you know, I am confident that the future, no matter what it looks like, will be better than those days. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm Good. perfectly Optimism. content with where Newcastle are. Good. That being said, uh, I really wish we didn't play Brentford next to try to get yeah, out of it's, this slump. Yeah, unfortunately, when you're in a slump like this, right, you start convincing yourself that every game is a tricky one. Bar, I don't know. I mean, no, you start convincing yourself that every single game is a tricky one because you can find a way, and that's and that is how this league goes. Um. You know, really, you should be smashing Brentford. Well, I mean, maybe smashing is harsh, but but you know, last season you would have comfortably turned them aside. Uh, so right, no Ivan Tony to flop. Right, no Ivan Tony to flop. Two, Although, yeah, dive penalties against us this year. So yeah, I'm Pope. I just watched the highlights again today. Pope was really bad in that game. How dare you? How I'm dare sorry, you? but like. Oh my god! Like, what the hell happened to him? Um, and I don't, I don't know. I, th- I feel like he's one of those goalies who's really good, and so really good goalies often you don't pay attention to them because they just do their jobs. So maybe it's a bit harsh, but I was like, I don't want to see that guy in an England shirt. Thank you very much. Like, I take Pickford's antics over that any day. Um, but even though Pickford scored a ridiculous own goal, actually, it was from far out, not the own goal one. Um, but the one he scores from far out, I think it was the second. You know, I, I, I fault Pope on that, but but my God, your cent- your centre backs, they just let that guy run like twenty yards up and then just shoot. What was that all yeah. about? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Right. I was like, I mean, so, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason why even when everyone was healthy last year. Um, Eddie Howe did not rotate the defense. Um, And there's a reason why Eddie Howe, on the first day that the transfer window opened, he said, I'm looking for a center back. Uh, Right. And he kept saying it through the entire window. And then at the end of the window, had to concede, you know, we could not find a good deal. You know, we we will not overpay. Um, Yeah. But we just couldn't find a deal that worked for us. Um, Which you kind of see in this match we you need a Sven Botman for a fab share you know fab share he's super flamboyant and will do all these risky things but it's okay because you know Sven Botman will clean up anything that goes wrong um and then I mean you know I can talk about Newcastle tactics forever but you know Newcastle play a lopsided three at the back where Dan Byrne will sort of tuck in uh, and we play as sort of a back three. And so all of a sudden, when Swin Botman is injured and you have to play Matt Target, all of a sudden Newcastle can no longer do this thing where they sort of rotate their 4 3 3 into a 3 4 3. So, who do you. Who would you have. It's interesting because I. it's It has to be a right sided player because. Like uh, Fabshare is the only well, he's left right-sided right. center back. No, Fabshare is right. He's not. Okay, never mind. 
Um, but uh, basically, the only other right-footed center back we have would be either Isaac Hayden or Emil Kraft. Um, so, you know, I think that's who it would have to be. Um, and so the player we were in for all window long was Axel de Zassi. Um, and then he ended up going to Chelsea. Um, why? Yeah. I don't know. You know, he was rubbish against Antonio. So maybe you dodged a bit. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, like that's the kind of player that Newcastle have been targeting. Like, you know, players who are like 24, 25, like young, but not super young. And, um, so yeah, um, you know, I trust. What that, about? You know, I would have taken Axel to Zassi. Could you have taken Tosin Adarabayo? Could you have? Could you have tempted Laporte? I know Laporte plays at the left of a centre back duo often, but is a good enough player to probably yeah. fill in. So the sure, issue with Laporte right? like, is that um, they have. Like the one thing they will not compromise on is breaking the wage structure. Um, so like Laporte was on double what our highest earner was on. So, you know, unless he's willing to take a massive pay cut, Newcastle weren't willing to oh, okay. take a player like him. What about um, Tossin? Tossin's interesting. Um, I mean, I personally don't love him as a player. Oh, I love um, him. I would take him at West Ham in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah, but there's levels to this shit, you know. What about Ch- West Ham in Newcastle? Um, I'm joking. Trevor Chalaba. Oh, I no, know. no. You don't Absolutely. like Trevor Chalaba? Um, no, but um, just a tangent. I know you're a big fan of the uh, Football Firsts podcast with Jermaine Defoe and Troy Deeney. I um, do like that one. Did you listen to the Red Cards episode? I no, I just saw it came out today, but I didn't have time. Is it good? It was, yeah, the best one yet. Um, it, but Troy Deeney talked about the first time he got a red card in his career. Uh, you know, you, you go to the locker room and then you wait for your team to come in. Yeah. Like you shower and then you just sit there. And he talked about how in that game, it was the match before like that Watford Leicester game. Yeah. Um, and or maybe the one before that because he would he would be suspended for the one um but he talked about how like a 16 year old uh nathaniel chalaba came into the he was the first player into the locker room and told like a 33 year old troy dini like you've let us all down you know this is you like you're a disgrace to the club um which was hilarious um yeah great story um, no, I would not have taken Trevor Chalaba. I think he's a terrible footballer. Oh, he's so come mistaken. off it. No, so I like Trevor Chalaba. I like him. I like him. No, the most good. like, uh, you know, the Hungarian left back for Feyenoord, Hinkle. Yeah, you gotta move somewhere. He would have been like a like that's the type of center back that Newcastle would have signed, and then they would have played him at left back and done the weird yeah. rotation thing. Interesting, interesting, interesting. 
Um, yeah. So I will just say, you know, if I'm Eddie Howe, here's how I'm fixing. Uh, I would, I would, I'm benching one of Bruno or Tonali. Um, Damn. I think they're a little bit too similar right now. Like, I think they need a more time to gel. Okay. But right now, we've got two players who are doing the same exact thing. Um, and both of them would benefit from a player like Sean Longstaff or Joe Willick, um, who, you know, the best thing they did all of last year was do all the running in the midfield and essentially take all the pressure off Bruno um, to let him do whatever he wanted. Um, so, you know, whoever's playing in the six, Tanali or Gimaraish. You know, put Longstaff next to him. Let Longstaff do the dirty stuff. Um, you know, and and just see. You know, it's Brentford. Yeah. Um, they're a good squad. They're not. You yeah. know, they're no Brighton. They're no Liverpool. They're no Man City. Um, yeah. But I think, and I think Almiron is a little bit of a luxury player. Um, in that he tends to play well when. Newcastle as a squad are playing really well. And so when Newcastle are playing poorly, he kind of shines as like a really sore spot in the in the side. Um so what I want to see is I want to see Aaron Gordon out on the right and I want to see Harvey Barnes on the left. Um but I'm, I don't think they'll ever do that because um I <laughs> Eddie Howe has done some weird ass things instead of doing that such as uh, keeping Gordon on the left and bringing Tino Livermento on at right wing, um, mm. which it, is weird, but you know Eddie Howe does really, really weird stuff like that all the time. Well, he does. So, yeah. Or, you know, Elliot Anderson, you know, put him back up in the attack. You know, he, he's played right wing before. Um, I'd like to see a player who's as direct as him play. Do you um do you start Callum Wilson against Brentford? Two goals and four hasn't started a game yet. I don't think. Yeah, correct, he has not. Um, that's the other thing I've been thinking of is what about Isaac out on the wing again, mm. and Callum Wilson through the middle, and then also Eddie Howe does a four four two a lot um, with Callum and Isaac up top together, but against Brentford. I think no. I think uh, what would I do versus what I think will happen? I think Isaac will get uh, this next match up top starting again. What I would do, you know, I'm like a very reactive person. So I think I would, yeah, bring on bring on Wilson, bring on Harvey Barnes, bring on uh, Jacob Murphy all to start as a message, you know, to, although it'd be so unfair on uh Anthony Gordon to not yeah, start him. You gotta start that guy. He's been too Yeah, filthy player. Too good. Um, yeah, so good. Um horrible haircut I, though. Yeah, so bad. He also, you know, he's still got like acne and stuff. Um Hey. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, well yeah. Um, but you know, you're not getting paid tens of thousands of pounds every week. Um you know, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm it, take a temperature read on me next week if we lose to Brentford. Um, I think you'll go and beat Brentford. 
So, oh, please don't say that. No, I think you will. Don't worry about it. No, please chat. Just talk about how we're going to get smashed. And whatnot. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll be all right. Okay, Oscar, your next match is against Manchester City. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Top of the Horrible. league clash uh, right now. We will lose 100%. So, no worries. Nobody beats City. I think that City will. I think there has not been a club in about 15 years that is more suited to being an invincible side than this City this year. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. Um, Um, Nobody touches those guys. So. Uh, Every, yeah, everybody disgusting. looks far off them. It's it's rap. It's a rap. There's no way what? anyone is beating them this year. Newcastle at home later in the year. Um, absolutely, I'm calling my shot. Uh, absolutely, I'm, I mean, I think it would be it would be astonishing if if they actually do go invincible because that's you know that's crazy. Um, but. But I just West Ham West Ham can't touch them. So literally, Blake, I think we we might break the record for lowest uh, percent possession. We really might um, because Do we got fucking close against. It's like sixteen percent, fifteen percent. I know Newcastle had eighteen percent against Manchester City. It, it, there was a three-week period where we played Leicester twice and Manchester City once, and the possession was like twenty-one percent, eighteen percent, nineteen percent. Yeah. Um. I we we were incredibly low against Brighton, like really, really low. I think we were the lowest in. I think we got 16%. I think that's the lowest since 2005. Um, Everton had 70% a while back. I can't... I don't know what the lowest ever is. Don't know. Sorry, that's stupid stat, but it's really low, and I think we'll break it. No worries. Um, just off the top of my Google search, it looks like Swansea City 2003-2004 was the lowest ever. Wow. Um, it was against Manchester City. In Wow. Okay. Whoa, in 2018? Swansea was still in the Prem in 2018? Really? Wow. Well. That feels weird because I remember Newcastle got Ki Sung Young off them in 2016. And I swear that was when they were relegated, but I don't know. Maybe Do I trust the Sun? I, uh, I completely <laughs> forgot that Ki Sung Young played for Newcastle. I feel like I bring him up on like every five podcasts. Um, Still going, that guy. Ah, yeah, he's still decent. Um, yeah, uh, anything else? Any, you know, like general hot takes you want to get out on the air for this next match week? 
Do you think Manchester uh, United will have another player who uh, Christ, some scandal man. comes out on? Oh God, it's so bad. It's so bad. And talk about the Jaden Sancho stuff. Do they? They're going to lose that. We're going to have to talk about Jaden Sancho at some point in the next couple of weeks because that is one of the that he might be a peak too early player. It's one of the saddest downfalls. He was so good at Dortmund. And then he made the wrong decision going to Mania. Um, I don't think I have many hot takes. Maybe Everton getting a point or a result out of Arsenal I could see happening. Uh, yeah, but apart from that, looks fairly... Fairly... T- Fairly uh, standard stuff here. Yeah, Tottenham, by the way. Speaking of hot takes. No. Yuck. I don't want to... I'm sorry, but they really do. Um, My God. They they look fun. And Ange, Ange is doing his best to make them endearing. And that's, I think, the most frightening thing. So. Wow. Did you see how funny he was in the press conference where Pep Guardiola, because oh, yeah, Pep yeah. Guardiola is like off his, completely off his rocker all the time. Pep Guardiola had these comments, I don't know when, recently, where he was doing his thing where he was like, yeah, like, Ange Postacoglu, like, we've spoken many, many times, like, with great clue, was told about this in a press conference. And he was like, I don't know where he's got that from. We've talked a total of 20 minutes to each other in our lives. And it's just like, that's just great stuff. You know, I love how he was like, I'm not going to be political about this. I'm just going to say he's basically lying and that guy's crazy. That's good stuff. Really yes, yeah, I like Ange. He seems like uh, a nice guy to chat with. Which is... I think uh, that Tottenham side does fall apart when James. James Madison running the show right now. And without him, I don't know. I think that's probably why they yeah. kept Gio LaCelso and didn't send him out on loan or sell him. Although, right, like, LaCelso hasn't shown anything to, 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 to say that he'll be able to take over Madison's boots when Madison gets injured. Yeah, very fair. Do you have any hot um, takes for me, Blake, before we wrap? Um, well, I wanted to bring up Damari Gray's You've got to have something cooking in there. review of Everton. Um, this backs up my feelings about, about Sean Dyche. Yeah, it does. Um, I feel like that yeah, guy's I was, a dick. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that as well. Um, other than that, just, you know, like really boring hot takes, you know, Brighton menu, you know. It's really easy to see what might happen there. Um, yeah. Burnmouth, Chelsea, really easy to see. What might oh, one hundred percent. I will go. You know, West Ham are going to beat Manchester City. You're crazy. That's unhinged. That you're crazy. I guess Listen, we are I at home. Feel it still. You know. You feel yeah. if you feel it if you if that happens, I'm I'm going to be scared because what's happening? Right, like what's going on, West Ham? Listen, um, you know, undefeated West Ham at home. Oh, we've been brilliant. You know, we have been brilliant. Yeah, you know, uh, lunchtime kickoff. 
you know, actually, I guess, you know, I think the lunchtime kickoff is a hindrance to a side like West Ham, where you know, if this was the the nighttime kickoff game or like the I guess they call it the dinner time, uh, yeah, kickoff. Um, you know, I think that you know plays really well to a side like West Ham, um, and you yeah. know, to a side like Newcastle. You know, like I think. Yeah, for better or worse, if you let uh, all the fans, you know, spend a longer time in the pub before <laughs> before you get yeah. them into the stadium, uh, it gives a side, you know, quite the boost. So yeah, yeah, no, I I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, we're sitting in fourth, ten points. You know, in my head, weirdly, Arsenal have had a bad start to the season, but they have the same record as us. So that's weird. Yeah, so do Tottenham, right? Well, yeah, Tottenham are so in second do... because they've scored so many goals. Liverpool are unbeaten, by the way, in 15 games. or 16 games or something. At no, least... it's longer than that. It's like 18, I think. So it's like Disgusting. I heard someone somewhere saying their hot take was Liverpool will be the team to run Man City the closest this season, which I think is quite quite a good hot take, actually. Especially because... I mean, Liverpool's I don't think it's really looks... a hot take. Liverpool's right? defense looks Th- shit. Because... Their defense is terrible. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that's fair. Um, I I was just thinking like you know Arsenal. It's very easy to look at their squad and point out their weak spots. Um, that's true. And you know West Ham. No offense. No, I mean West Ham can't. No, a little bit. Way. Yeah. No. A yeah. Bit obviously. Flattering. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Tottenham, you know, it's just like honeymoon uh, period right now. You think so. it's honeymoon? Like, See, I'm just looking at the table now and thinking, wow, is it t- should Tottenham be getting Champions League this season? Like because Chelsea and Man U, right? Like they're looking like they might not even be anywhere close, and every other team is going to get nosebleeds up there. West Ham, Brighton, I don't see it happening. You know? It's interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think just, you know, it can be any of those sides that push Man City. So I don't know if it's really a hot take. Um, yeah. I think they, like, they all kind of have their, you know, their yeah. faults. Um, wow. Oscar, I, any chance? Yeah. Go. Any chance we got an email? No emails, sorry, Blake. Very sad. Um, Well, that has been episode six of season four of the Peak Too Early podcast. Yes. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Please send us an email so we can, uh, you know, talk about whatever you want to be heard talk about. Anything. Or follow us, leave us a review, tweet at us, or do anything you would like. Yeah. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Yeah. Bye. I'm standing.